Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma football fanboy podcast. Fanboy by me and um, intelligentsia by others on this podcast, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm Brady Trantham. It's OU Texas week. We're all excited. Some of us are dreading Saturday. Some of us are super excited. Some of us are diving into the the archives and the tomes of advanced stats to try to prove that, Oh no, 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 no. Like, Oh, you should be favored. Um, but that, you know, that's what the podcasting is for is to satisfy that need for you to hear that or to piss you off and make you dread it even more. But to do all that, like I'm going to be the happy person here, Alan Kinney, who's the co-host tonight because uh, Matt Burton is too busy and uh, Peyton is somewhere in Europe exploring mountains but alan kenny is going to be the one that's going to tell you that no texas should actually be favored by like 13 right alan <laughs> well i'm not sure if i go that far but you know i mean i'll i guess i'll, I'll be the sober sober headed one here yeah i mean let's might as well be sober for now because the the closer we get to saturday who knows what everyone's state of mind is going to be but yeah. on that note um, if you are uh, interested in kind of celebrating OU Texas early, you know, you can always give a shout out to our lovely, lovely sponsors, uh, Vanessa House uh, Beer Company on Broadway and 8th in Oklahoma City. If you want some good times and good drinks, if you are over 21, of course, go check them out. The Spirit Shop in Norman, um, that place has been around since way before I was born. It's been around since the Wishbone days, everybody. And guess what? They deliver. So why don't you go? Uh, give them a call if you are, you know, a few brews in and don't feel like driving. That would be the smart thing. Give them a call. Or if you haven't had a drink and you want to start off, get your weekend all prepared for OU Texas, then go check them out on your way down to Dallas. It's going to be a good time. But um, and then thank you to all of our patrons. Of course, you can find um, more podcasts, more written articles, more fun content on patreon.com slash through the keyhole. And typically, like I said, Peyton is in Europe. He's going to be there for the next week or so uh, for his main gig, but you'll have his film reviews on Wednesday. I'm probably going to put something out on Wednesday. I've already got an idea. It's not going to be as good and scientifically um, accurate as Peyton's. So uh, hopefully everyone enjoys it, but Alan will put out some written articles as well. And, you know, Matt brings his sexual charisma that we appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, Alan, you you wrote your uh, musings on the Iowa State game. Uh, we were on the no cap recap, Matt and I. Um, so you haven't had a chance to kind of give your thoughts to the 
uh, the the audio medium, as it were, and especially to all the uh, the non patrons out there that listen to through the keyhole um, that didn't read your um, write up. So now that a few more days have passed and we've gotten past the whole. I don't know what the fuck Key Lawrence was doing on that play. I don't know what Billy <laughs> Bowman was was thinking on on that one slant route. But now that a few more days have passed, I mean, how does that game kind of fit into the broader scope of the season for you? Yeah, you know, at this point, I think that we can all agree that Oklahoma hasn't exactly played a world being schedule. Like, you know, there's there's no way around that. Ninety seventh um, in the I think I heard that on a podcast, like it's 97th in the country. Yeah, or... it's it's not. I mean, it's it's certainly not uh, particularly. They're 14. Strong, right? The opponents are 14 and 14 combined. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, looking at it, but at the same time, you know, some of the some of the skepticism that I've read about OU is kind of stuff, you know, you'll read about like, oh, well, wait till, you know, Dylan Graybill sees a good defense and, you know. I mean, Iowa State is generally considered one of the better defenses in the country um, year in and year out. Uh, you know, kind of the numbers tend to bear that out. And I mean, in this case, you know, OU sliced them up. I mean, and and that was, I mean, for all the concerns early about the defense, which were very, very legitimate in this game, you know, I mean, I didn't see any time when, you know, the offense wasn't moving the ball, uh, you know, fairly easily uh in this game so you know that that part of it is uh is definitely a plus i mean this is a scheme that's given OU fits in the past too so um defensively early on i don't know what <laughs> what had happened um it seemed to me uh, you know looking back there i mean those busts by the safeties we've seen one similar kind of play like that early in the season by billy bowman and i just don't know what exactly these guys are looking at um, you know, Bowman kind of made up for it, I think, or, or he was starting from ahead when you consider that uh, return he had on the uh, pick six for a touchdown yeah. on Iowa State's first drive. I mean, that was the kind of thing that reminds you why I think, uh, you know, he was generally seen as kind of as like this ace return man last season. And, you know, he's not doing that as often anymore, but man, he, he just looked good in the open field, good vision. Um, and with Key Lawrence, it's just felt like, man you know, with him, you, you just don't know what you're going to get. It's, I mean, it's a grab bag. It feels like week in and week out. Um, but I mean, he's done a lot of good so far this year too. So, uh, they'll have a big, big test obviously this week coming up. Yeah, no question. Um, and I actually forgot to mention this at the top of the show and I had got on the discord and said, maybe we should try to do this the next time, but, um, Hey, we got a, uh, we got a nice little five-star review on Apple podcasts, um, we haven't had a few in a while, um, but if you have not done so, whether it be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a, a five-star rating and review. Or if you don't agree with a five-star rating or review, leave us you know, a rating you think we deserve. It will help us understand what we need to work on, or it'll just make us feel good about ourselves. You know, do, like show, Share some kindness and spread it into the world. We'll greatly appreciate it. It helps the show grow. Um, but back to the show. No, it's... um. I've been, I don't know where you've kind of um, fallen in this camp, uh, Alan, but I've been very hesitant to kind of buy into, um, and I think Brent said this after SMU, he might've said it like during, after Cincinnati that, oh, well, if we played this game last year, we'd probably lose. I don't really want to agree with that from the standpoint of, look, OU was a bad team last year, but three, like 
most of those games, OU should have won even as a bad team. They had no business losing to Tech the way they did. They had no business losing to West Virginia in that manner. I like a game like Baylor last year. I get it. You know, three really unfortunate turnovers. It's that's, I mean, OU could have been Baker Mayfield. And if three random turnovers happened in the first half, they would have been hard pressed to come back even at home and win that game. Like you're just shooting yourself in the foot too much. Um, So I I don't want to just kind of sit there and gloss over like kind of underwhelming performances and just try to remember that, well, last year in a similar situation, they lose a close game to a bad team and now they're winning them. I don't really want to agree with that, but at the same time, I think with respect to something like what we saw against Iowa State, um, philosophically, sure, um, if OU's going to get beat on a play, I would want it to be because um, they're being too aggressive. Um, and and typically when I say that, it's because, hey, blitz or go man on man, and if they just throw the ball over the top and beat you, then tip your cap to them and you move on. The offense is good enough that you can kind of take chances for, um, for doing something like that. But that's not exactly what Key Lawrence and Billy Bowen were doing, <laughs> and, and especially kind of referencing the other play you mentioned with uh, Billy Bowman, I think during the SMU game where he did something kind of similar where mm-hmm. he's kind of going for the ball and kind of going for a hit, but then ultimately just does none of the two and completely whiffs on the play and it results yeah. in a big chunk play. Um, you know, it's it's things like that that kind of make me think, yeah, like this team is certainly improved. Um, in so many facets, they're certainly much better overall than they were last year, but there's still some like, I mean, they're just not there yet. And when you make plays like that, it's not because they're being so, so ultra aggressive. It's just because like, Hey guys, like as, as much as the improvement has been made as, as excited as we all are, they may not just be there yet. So they're five and oh, they've got a lot in front of them maybe temper the expectations just a little bit. And maybe I'm being a little too conservative in that respect, but I mean, I don't know, like maybe that's just me trying to like protect myself from being hurt as an OU fan. Because, <laughs> yeah. Because I was drinking the Kool-Aid too, like everybody else. When you go into Nebraska, even though we knew that they sucked, but it's always fun to beat the shit out of your old rival in the way that OU did. And then we know how the season kind of played out from there. I hate the, I hate the, Oh, we would have lost this team this game a year ago where, you know, I, I mentioned this in my article, you know, like I hate to play that kind of like, you know, armchair psychologist. Right. Yeah. Where I'm looking at and saying, Oh, well, you know, you know, you could point out that last year this team kind of folded or crumbled, you know, when, uh, when they were doing that, you know, when those kinds of things happened, I think that <clears throat> maybe one way to look at it, at least with the defensive side of the ball is that, a year later, right? These guys, they're still learning, obviously learning the defense, but it's not all new to them, right? So, you know, you've got it when you're when they're in that kind of mode, there are only so many things when when you're if something's brand new, you know, there are only so many things you can ask these guys to do week in and week out, right? So if somebody is exploiting something or some kind of tendency it's hard to on the fly make an adjustment, right? Because, you know, it's just not something maybe you've gone over and gone and drilled. I mean, the one thing about it is now like they've got, <laughs> they've got guys who know the defense a little bit better. You know, Matt Campbell talked about different adjustments that the staff made like, you know, fairly early in the first half. And, uh, you know, you saw it after, you know, I think after about five minutes and we're down in the uh, second quarter from then on, I mean, it was just, you know, shut the door on them. Right. So, you know, 
perhaps that makes adjusting a little bit easier on the fly when the guys just players know the defense better when you've got also guys who are you know kind of recruited and coached to the scheme right so that you can kind of you know you know there's more versatility maybe out there or more flexibility adaptability among the different uh among the different guys i mean that that was the part to me that hearing that they were able to make those adjustments was i took i took a lot of uh you know it was a reason for optimism i guess yeah now i mean the other facet with the game you know other than the offense and especially dylan gabriel um playing in my opinion one of his better games as an ou quarterback and in more ways than just simply being you know accurate with the football you know just everything that would kind of come with being the quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. I thought he played exceptionally well against Iowa State. And we know that defensive, at least the defensive staff at Iowa State, has a lot of, they've got a lot of history, especially in this matchup. Maybe not necessarily the talent that they're coaching on the field, which probably made Dylan's job a little bit easier than it did for Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Spencer yeah. Rattler, everybody else back in the day. Um, no question about that. But, you know, like on the no cap recap on the Patreon page, Matt and I basically kind of punted on the running game, at least in terms of a conversation about it, because I think we're I'm expecting Marcus Major to trot out there um, as the starting running back this Saturday against Texas. And I, I'm curious, I mean, uh, with a few more days to like look back on it, maybe you've watched a highlight video again and had a different thought. Is there anything else on the running game other than just the 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 wish scenario of unless Gavin Sawchuck like figure something out like this is what we have to expect now. I wish I could tell you yes, but you know I went back and watched. You know I watched the game and I just I he had a good run on his on his first run that was about the best between the tackles run I've ever seen Marcus Major make and is it, mm-hmm. it was only because of that move he made the second level that was yeah it. No, everything I mean, else was just contact down. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the, the lack of like elusiveness is just it. That's the part that I, I can't, I can't figure out. And, you know, I, I think one, one thing that kind of feeds in here though, and you brought it up, Dylan Gabriel playing his best game, you know, I think as a pastor, there were a few times where I felt like, you know, he made some throws that he kind of got bailed out by his receivers at times. A few came out late. Like I thought that the day throwing the ball might not have been, as good as the numbers looked. However, he was a real weapon running the ball. And like yes. not only that, like he he seemed from you know from watching on TV, he really seemed to kind of feed off that. Like like incorporating that part of his game into the offense seems to kind of get him fired up. Um, you know, he was more demonstrative, more emotional, it seemed like, I mean, in a in a fired up kind of way than I think I've we've seen him in the past. Um, and so, you know, you, you got to take that into account now that, you know, offenses are, you know, defenses, pardon me, are going to have to play them 11 on 11, so to speak, but for the running game, no. And it's such a, such a strange thing. Cause I really figured coming into the season that this would be a run first team. And I mean, they'd be running 65, 70% of the time hopefully, yeah. and then using, using that to, uh, you know, throw play action off of. And it's, it feels like at this point, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. And that's the incredible thing about Dylan playing so well, even against, albeit soft competition in these first five games, we thought that, well, Dylan's going to take a, a next step because it's year 
three technically under Jeff Levy year two, at least at OU. He's going to be more familiar with the competition. He's going to be more familiar with just the, the, uh, the stage of being QB one at the university of Oklahoma, but also he's going to have a badass running game. And with all due respect to Eric gray, he was just one guy. OU's got a plethora of backs that can go for a hundred yards in a game. We've, we saw it last year in the cheese it bowl. And he's going to have that with a slightly better and more experienced offensive line than the one that he had last year. So that's going to be good. Right. And he's been very good, but it has very little to do with the running game. And it's, yeah, it's, it's been very, it gives you the impression that if Gavin Sawchuck figures it out, or if the coaching staff just says, fuck it, Tommy Walker has proven it. He proved it four weeks ago and we've been stubborn about it because he's a walk on or for some reason, but we're just going to ride with him. And then all of a sudden you see like those two yard to no gain rushes that Marcus major has turn into three, four or five yards. And it's like, Oh, maybe we should have been doing that, but maybe that's the wrinkle for Texas. We'll find out, <laughs> but I will yeah. push back, you know, shout out to Peyton. I will push back a little bit on the receivers bailing out Dylan, because I think one, one good trait, like a trait that, I see quarterbacks that are in a tier of maybe not Heisman caliber because Heisman caliber quarterbacks, you know, they make stupid plays all over the place, but you can be a very, very good quarterback. Uh, You can be a very good quarterback. If you just simply trust your receivers to make plays and at OU, you should have a guy or two that you should be confident enough that against 90% of your schedule. Okay. The play is broken. Everybody's covered. Fuck it. Go get it. Big guy. And having that confidence in your receiving core is very important because every play isn't going to be run perfectly. The opponent is going to do things. They're going to do things that are going to mess everything up. And I think after five games, Dylan Gabriel has found that trust with his receiving core, not just with one guy, which is usually the case, but with a plethora of guys. And I think that that's positive going into Texas, no doubt. Yeah. And that's like actually a really good point. You know, I mean, one of the plays that comes to mind obviously is uh, the deep bomb to uh, Brennan Thompson, where essentially, I mean, that guy is fast as fuck, man. (laughs) So like, I mean, Gabriel put everything he had into it, you know, but even then, I mean, you know, it was still underthrown and he he was able to come back, you know, and catch one of those kind of, you know, is a classic, one of those uh, underthrown bombs where they're, you know, the defensive backs can't see it. And he slides back under and grabs. It. I mean, yeah. You know, especially when you consider that that was really Thompson's first action, right? Like yeah. the fact that he had that kind of faith in him, that's uh, that, that does say something, does say something about him trusting his receivers. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I'm and you know, I, I think that, for as much of a disappointment as the running game has been or not living up to expectations. I mean, the receivers have so exceeded that so far. I mean, they've been so consistent. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's the occasional drop, but you know, guys like Andrew Anthony, who, you know, really had no track record outside of like one or two highlight plays at Michigan. Right. I mean, yeah, he comes in and I think he's been so solid now. What happens against better defensive backs? I guess we'll find out. But I mean, you know, it's kind of like I said in the article. We use knocking down all the pins put in front of them in that in that respect. And I mean, the receiving core has been so far in a way better than I expected. Well, I'm going to defer to you. Do you want to cover some other college football um, of last week? Maybe preview a little games, a few games this week, or do you want to go straight into it? 
You want to go straight I think into we it? Got, I mean, it's Texas week, right? We got to go right into it, man. That it is. <laughs> it is the holiest of weeks that we all come together and join hands and say, fuck Texas. So <laughs> it's uh, it's special. It's the... Um, this isn't the first time... I mean, Texas was ranked in... I mean, they've been ranked in this matchup and over the last few years mm-hmm. with OU, right? I think 20, 2020 were they ranked, 2019, 2018. But this is certainly... Yeah. This is certainly, it feels like, and I mean, both teams are undefeated. That might be the thing that it's the first time since. I think like 2011 or something. Yeah, Yeah. 2011. Both teams are undefeated. Um, And we know how it went for one program in that game. Um, For the next decade, we know how it went for the other. Um, You know, like this, it's weird because I'm trying to separate my mind like the dread of the game, not looking forward to it with the fact of the matter as it stands right now, because sometimes you can mesh those two things incorrectly because obviously the game hasn't happened yet. And obviously we've seen um, national title contending OU teams play Texas teams who couldn't spell their name on a, you know, spelling test and uh, punt a football or, I mean, you know, do anything, do anything just routine and those Texas teams would come in and kick OU's ass for four quarters. Would they win? Not all the time, but they would kick OU's ass and make it hard. So what I mean by all that is Texas beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And that is so hard to not like acknowledge. And yes, Alabama is not an unkillable Terminator machine um, in college football right now. Now, they may very well win the rest of their games, which is going to be kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, the SEC doesn't look too particularly strong, um, but at the same time, it's not the usual Alabama, but still Texas went into Tuscaloosa and dominated the game from start to finish. Um, and that's hard to um, ignore. And I can just tell you, Alan, if OU did that and Texas had OU schedule, I'd be like, bring them the fuck on. I'm not yeah, scared of them. Absolutely. So, yeah. so there's that in my mind as along with OU schedule coupled with, well, the game hasn't happened yet, so you shouldn't be dreading it. So I'm just kind of on Tuesday going into Wednesday. I'm just still kind of figuring out where my mind should be, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. And I mean. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits and more. Live in Norman, we deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405-321-3100. That's 405-321-3100. In from out of town for the game? Come see us at the corner of Main and Barry, just two miles east of I-35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard-to-find bourbon in store. It's been such a weird two years, right? And, like, I think that as much as... No one wanted to admit it, but, you know, like, the whole deal with changing over at the top i think it's been very good for ou right but it caused some uncertainty and you know what happened last year in the cotton bowl i i can explain away right like logically i mean 
like in all honesty, I'm there. I mean, I, I thought that he was going to get run off the field before the game even started. I, I so like I can it, I can understand, that. but it was not a good like referendum on where things were at the time, right? Yeah, it, it was the most inconsequential OU Texas game possibly ever. Mm-hmm. You no, know, since since the st- before Oklahoma was a state when it was a territory, that's probably the last time it was that inconsequential. Like there there's the competitive person in all of us there's like the you never know when they you know mm-hmm. lace them up and go on the field you never know but at the same time it's like come on dude like nobody yeah. i watched i watched a few drives and just thought like this isn't oklahoma football and it's not even me being pissy that they're losing it's just this just isn't it it's not indicative yeah, but, i'm moving yeah. on exactly and but so like at the same time you didn't get you didn't get a proof of concept though too is the is the flip side of that right like yeah. it, like you mentioned it's inconsequential it's it's a nothing you know what i mean so we don't so like i want to see how um this coaching staff prepares for a game like this i mean like in my mind you know i mean obviously you're hoping oh you win i i see texas as a better team so far i see him as more of a, a proven team right you know, the, the, I guess the flip side of that is, OU hasn't exactly had a shot to prove itself so far this year against, um, you know, a quality competition. Right. So like, it's kind of, again, there's just a lot of unknown here. And I, like I mentioned, I really want to see how OU game plans here, what, what the performance looks like, you know what I mean? Because one thing it's kind of, it's kind of weird with Texas. I don't look at Texas's, I don't look at Steve Sarkeesian as, like, you know, this as this coach who's, you know, going to come in and establish a culture, you know, like a Nick Saban or an Urban Meyer type. Right. But and and he really hasn't been like an overachiever anywhere as a head coach, but they've established, in my opinion, a really good coaching staff there. When you look at top to bottom, I mean, they're off their defensive coordinator, for example, Pete Kwiatkowski's got to be one of the three to five best out there. Right. So, like, you want to see how OU's coaches kind of match up strategically what what they're doing i mean not all of it will work i'm sure but some of it you know what what does what does work what doesn't and what are they did they come up did they come up with any fresh ideas that type of thing that's kind of that's what i'm i'm looking one of the things i'm really interested in seeing this week this year yeah and this kind of uh segues i think perfectly into um, a little show topic that peyton um lobbed at us from abroad um just basically the concept and it's something that I've heard, I think on the solid verbal when I was at the gym this morning, listening to their, um, their weekly podcast and they talked about OU Texas and they mentioned, they brought this up as well. Um, but the concept that OU is just simply Texas, but a year behind because Sark is in year three of the ultimate Texas rebuild and Brent is in year two of the Oklahoma rebuild. Now, I understand where that comes from and especially from a national podcast where they they're not they're not in it they're not in the shit every single day they're kind of like jumping in and out of like different storylines and narratives and programs and I get that um from a bird's eye view I I get that it kind of looks like that but I'll just remind everybody Steve Sarkeesian just in, like when he got to Texas he inherited probably a top 5 recruiting class he inherited a cycle of top 5 or top 8 recruiting classes all Texas needed was just somebody who wasn't dumb because Tom Herman was dumb and Charlie Strong was just kind of a, a, a little bit out of his depth. Um, so 
you know, I, I, I kind of see that as not very indicative to the situation that Brent has because he had to rebuild a roster on the fly. He had to also rebuild a culture like Texas's culture didn't need fixed because Texas never thinks they have a culture problem. They just keep putting talent out there and at some point it'll work. That's been the Texas dynamic for the last 40 or 50 years since Daryl Royal, like that was a culture. It's never been the same historically, but I'm just curious. I mean, do, do you kind of jump in on that with, uh, yeah, OU's just a, a little bit behind in the cycle that Sark is enjoying right now in year three, or is it just a little bit more nuanced than that? Well, I think that the way the, where I think that the kind of diverges is like when Texas fired Tom Herman and hired Sark, right? Like they did that with a specific kind of plan in mind, right? Like it was done intentionally, you know, it, you know, Tom Herman, you know, did well enough there that final season, but not well enough to keep his job. They had, they had a vision of what they wanted to do. Right. So this is, and this is how that it's, it's played out. You know, I mean, I think that that goes down, starts with, with Sark and, but it's also, you know, all the things like NIL and uh, you know, uh, you know, the transfer portal, how they're managing that, all that stuff. Right. Oh, you had to kind of, it was by virtue of circumstance had to kind of build a build a, a vision kind of on, on the fly or you know i think brent venables had to kind of sell the vision to joe castiglione which is part of the reason why he got the job in the long run right so you know it's oh you hasn't didn't exactly have that same kind of ramp up necessarily but you know there there are definitely ways you could look at it. i mean i see the similarities both of them both programs with sark and his year one and venables and here's your one i mean they badly underperformed i don't think there's any any way to put say that you know differently uh you know last year i think that the, one of the interesting things is that texas probably underperformed in terms of its win-loss record versus how you know like they were perceived how it played yeah yeah i mean like, like you know what i mean texas texas had did a lot of good things on the field last year but they weren't winning as, as it wasn't translating into as many wins yeah i think maybe it should have right does that make sense yeah no no doubt like if OU goes nine and three this year and let's say they lose to texas and then two like who gives a shit teams and yeah. they on the at the end of the like people will be mad i will be upset you will be upset but at the end of the season we'll all sit there and say not what we wanted but there we certainly see like the trajectory of improvement that we wanted to see um, and there's still things to work on, but you hope that that gets fixed by just bringing in better talent. And that's kind of what Texas did last year. But I mean, I would just say that when your best win is a one point loss at home to Alabama and then a yeah. 49 to nothing shellacking of an OU team that was already bad in the first place, but was sans their fairly good starting quarterback for the entire game. I then start to question, like, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. And you know, I've been wrong on Texas. I was wrong on Texas coming into this year in terms of the Alabama game. I thought Bama was going to mop the floor with them, and I was completely mm-hmm. wrong. And, you know, shout out to Texas. They've earned that. Um, but at the same time, going into the year, I'm just thinking, like, I don't know what the hoopla is about because if I'm a Texas fan at the same level that I am an OU fan, I'm looking at them with that same critical eye that I would look at an OU team of, like, guys, we lost to Alabama and we beat a shitty OU team. 
Yeah, absolutely. Other than that, yeah. we blew we blew games we should have lost we should have won, and then we lost our bowl game to probably the eventual national champion, you know, in Washington. But you know, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I'm with you, and that's and, and that's all fair. You know, I think I think that a lot of people, like particularly like the the like like the stats gurus, right? They would say looking at what how Texas played last year, kind of pointed towards a big year this year right yeah and i think that you you know it's shaping up that way for ou as well but the difference is right now it was ou's five and oh at this point texas i think had lost two games right i mean again different levels of competition no one is no one's arguing against that i just i feel like ou's pointing in the right direction if you felt like texas was ended last season moving in the right direction right then I mean, I see, I, I guess I see the similarity, um, but like, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat impressed that, you know, Venables has been able to do this, you know, so quickly kind of on the fly. I mean, you know, it, it we can, compl- we can talk all we want and, and until we're blue in the face about like whether or not, you know, use schedules any good. It's not, well, I mean, there's no point in talking about it. Right. But I mean, this team is better. There's no, like if you're watching this team, if you're watching no use games this season and saying, Oh, they're just the same team as last year. You know, they, they haven't played anybody good. It'll look different once they do. You're not, you're, you're a hater. That's the only one thing that I can come up with because like, there's a different level of execution. There's a different level of it. Just all of it. Top to bottom is so much sharper in my opinion. No doubt. I mean, we've seen good OU teams struggle against teams that um to the level that OU's already played this year. And mm-hmm. every season is different, every team is different, so it's kind of silly to kind of try to do that mental gymnastics in your head, but I think from an overall standpoint, like your eyes don't lie to you. This OU team is pretty damn good. Um we're going to find out just exactly how good they are on Saturday, but um you know, that's why they play the mm-hmm. game. And like I kind of think like it's just interesting that people seem to just have, I don't even want to say short memories, but they just have these memories that they choose to have um, in terms of whenever they want to talk about certain storylines. So, okay, it's OU Texas. So I'm going to think of something to talk about and I'm going to ignore the fact that Texas just never doesn't have a bad recruiting class or that they never have a roster that's better than on paper than what Oklahoma has. I, I truly think that the the big difference for Texas is just they have a quarterback that can throw the ball. Sam Ellinger was a good football player. He was tough. You know, like I think every OU fan would agree that, yeah, he was a tough SOB, but he wasn't the most talented passer of the football, and it allowed bad OU defenses to kind of prey on his inability to throw the ball downfield. Um, Quinn Ewers is not perfect. He's I wouldn't say he's like a Heisman caliber quarterback and I'm you know I may very well eat my words but from what I've seen last year and so far this year even with that win against Alabama I'm just like he can he just stands tall in the pocket and throws the football fairly well and he looks very good doing it half the time and that's something Texas hasn't had since uh David Ash before OU kicked his ass um Colt McCoy and I don't yeah, even want to say that cuz yeah. that's that's going to paint a certain picture like I don't think Quinn Years is Colt McCoy but you know I I think an interesting storyline here is 
it's essentially a good portion of Alabama's staff from the what 2018, yeah. 2019, 2020 against a good little portion of Clemson staff from that same time. And those Clemson teams had their way with some of those Alabama teams. Um, I don't know if they were directly um, facing off against each other in terms of Brent versus a Steve Sarkeesian led Alabama offense. But um, there's a lot of history, I think, between these two stabs. And I think it's going to show themselves. And I think what we're all waiting for is just, okay, like we assume that Brent will have some tricks up his sleeve for um, Texas. What are they? Will they work? Or will Texas, with their talent, make OU pay for them? Right. And, you know, it's not even necessarily like, you know, oh, some brand new defense or some brand new offensive scheme as much as figuring out, you know, what it is that, you know, yours does or doesn't do well. Right. Or or tailoring the game the way that you want it to be played. Right. Like that's to me, uh, you know, kind of the interesting part of it. And, you know, uh, I think that when you look back at like, for example, how, um, Clemson really just, I believe it was the 2018 season. Uh, you know, I mean, they ran Bam off the field in that national championship game. And, you know, a lot of that was based on, you know, Venables putting together a, a really nice defensive game plan uh, that, you know, enabled his guys to undercut some Alabama routes. They were saying on some stuff, you know, and, you know, turning turnovers into, uh, you know, into points. Right. Uh, that that kind of thing. I mean, it, you know, they got Bama off on their back foot right right from the very beginning of that game. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking for I'm looking for stuff like that. Right. Um, and so, you know, again, like you're I think you're probably right about the quarterback thing. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested, obviously. I mean. I think Gabriel's done a very nice job being kind of like this uh, bridge player, right? And and like again, we're talking about him like he's kind of just ho hum. I mean, oh, he's undefeated at this point. Again, he's playing really, really well. You know, I mean, I think that most fans. I mean, if, if we're talking about it in, in that context of oh, well, OU's kind of just year a year behind Texas, then you know. Also next year, we'll also get to see what OU looks like with, you know, the five-star hot shot running the show, right? So, yeah. And that'll be interesting because, you know, Quinn Ewers got his trial by fire with a rather good team last year. And that's why, you know, we're seeing a successful Texas team thus far as Quinn has that experience. Jackson's not going to have that experience that Quinn enjoyed um, going into um, his second year. Jackson going into his second year is going to be in the SEC. Yeah. um, Playing (laughs) probably... I mean, I would love to watch Jackson Arnold play. Don't get me wrong, but I don't want to see Dylan Gabriel get hurt because I think that, that could be detrimental to this season. And I think this season is actually important for the trajectory of the program in terms of just gobbling up wins. Um, but, you know, like one one thing, I guess like two little thoughts I have about kind of the intricacy of the team, the intricacy of this game. Um, and I'm trying to look back, but I from my memory, with the caveat that... Oh, you schedule has not been very good. Something that I think is kind of an odd good thing about this team. The few times that OU has turned the ball over, Alan, the defense has not surrendered a point, right? Because Dylan threw the interception against Iowa State, and I think Iowa State turned it over on downs on their next possession. When Gabriel 
um, fumbled against Cincinnati, yeah. and I'm trying to find that drive. And Cincinnati real- did not score after that. Okay, then yeah. then that that was good. Did Dylan throw a pick against Cincinnati? I don't think he did. I don't think so. He did against Tulsa. Good against Tulsa, and that might be it because on the kickoff return, Farouk fumbled. I mean, Tulsa gave it right back to OU yeah. like two or three plays later. Yeah. Oh, this is why you should research before you open your fucking mouth. Oh, OU. No, that's when. Um, I think that's when OU forced a turnover on downs. Yeah. Oh no, they forced a punt. It was a three and out right before the half against Tulsa. So mm-hmm. yeah, the, the few times OU has turned the ball over this year, the defense goes right out there and either gets the ball back quickly or um, forces a, you know, basically no points allows no points from the opponent. And that, you know, going back to that thing I said last, um, a, a few, you know, a few minutes ago about how I don't want to just pretend that, Oh yeah, last year's team would lose this game, blah, 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 blah. But one thing that I, I see as a, kind of a linear improvement is when OU would turn the ball over last year, the entire team would snowball. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. The, the other team would score, the other team would gain momentum and OU would have no idea what to do. And, you know, if it was early in the game, like against Baylor or Texas tech, they would be able to just like, well, there's still a lot of game left. So OU will find their rhythm again. And then it would become a back and forth. If it was like West Virginia where they started to fuck up late, then they would just run out of time and lose. Yeah. Um, I like that about this team. And to me, that kind of shows that when you go into an environment like the Cotton Bowl, where you'll have a plan and it'll all make sense on paper and you're like, oh, we haven't done this yet. They're not prepared for this. But then you find out very quickly that, oh, shit, they are prepared for that because they're also good, too. And they watch film. Um, oh boy, we're in for a fight. That's when I want to see OU still be successful. I don't want this to just be so inherent on a plan. I don't want this to be so inherent on landing an early punch because if that's the case, then this game might turn south fairly quickly because I don't know if this team has enough proven talent over what Texas has proven to just, oh God, it didn't work out. Uh, What do we do now? But having said that, when those situations have kind of presented themselves this season, Alan, OU has like really shown me that, no, 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 no. It's okay. We're not going to panic and we're going to adjust and kick ass because that's what we do. Yeah. And, you know, like I, I hate to be a simpleton about this, but to me, that's really just a matter of the defense scene saying, you know what, like we're actually pretty good. The the offense feeling confident exactly. that the defense isn't just going to crumble. Right. I mean, that again it's the armchair psychology thing but like it does they play with a different level of confidence in uh their you know their their different level of resiliency is the right word i think is the word i'm looking for here in the sense of feeling like okay we've actually we've actually been able to get some stops on defense you know this isn't (laughs) this isn't a lost cause right yeah yeah and it's it's going to be it's just going to be one of those things where OU has to, I mean, they've got to see success on the field early. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, you know, I, I feel like every time it, it's OU Texas week and I'm podcasting, I feel like I'm podcasting and talking as if I think I'm talking to the team of like, please make sure that this happens. I'm like the fan that screams and shout out to a good friend of mine and he'll know who he is when I mention this, but I'm like the fan who screams, watch for the fake as if my, 
my thought <laughs> yeah. of watching for the fake is going to cue someone like, oh yeah, shit, I need to get ready for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the fan experience, right? Man, that's the ex- yeah. fan thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it's going to be tough. And I think one factor in this game that really no one's talked about, um, at least yet, is Dylan Gabriel, this is going to be his only OU Texas game that he'll play in. He was there last year, and that gives me a little bit of like, because I've been very, over the years since I was back in sports media and podcasting about OU football, I was very on the train of, oh, they've got it. Like one of these teams has a brand new quarterback that hasn't played this game. They're going to lose. It just rarely happens that a brand new quarterback just walks onto the field of the Cotton Bowl and succeeds. It's just, it's a different animal. Dylan saw the OU Texas game and for OU in the absolute worst possible scenario. So if there are mistakes made, I hope that it's, I hope that he understands that I've seen worse. We're fine. Just do the, do your thing. Trust the culture that we've all seen you say and play as if you do trust the culture, prove it. Right. Like, and there's a, there's a part of me, I, I look at this game and it could go a lot of different ways, but like one way that I, th- I look at it is thinking like, Oh, you maybe OU's best strategy here is to really put a lot of it on Gabriel's shoulders. Right. Like, especially given the inefficiency of the running game and everything, like maybe, maybe the game plan here should be like, Hey, you know, Dylan, you know, go out there and, and rip it really like, see, see what you can do. And if that's, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out fine, it doesn't work out. But like, you know, maybe I, 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 he's going to be, he, it's going to be, I mean, there's going to be a, I, I think that there's going to end up being a lot on his shoulders on Saturday. He's a starting quarterback. There should be. Yeah, right. I mean, kind of self-evident. My last little thought about kind of the X's and O's or the psychology of this game for OU is just, I mean, everybody that's had a thought has, I mean, we're not reporting anything and we're not insiders of any any type, but um, Brent's going to have some stuff. He's going to throw out some blitzes. He's going to disguise coverages. That's what Brent Venables does. But the thing about a Brent Venables defense, and this goes back to his days as the DC here at OU, is with that aggression comes some, you're going to give up big plays. Mm-hmm. Because if you go all out and you put your guys on an island in the second level, especially against a quarterback who can make the throw and receivers who can get behind you in the second and third level, they can make you pay. So it's inherent on you know the guys being told, go get the quarterback to get home or the defensive linemen that are stunting or doing something exotic to get home or set the edge and make sure that Quinn Ewers isn't able to roll out, extend the play and then find someone 20 mm-hmm. yards downfield when you've done everything right. But I don't know if you've seen, cause I, I know you're more of an advanced stats um, analytics numbers guy than I am. I'm just curious right off the bat. And if you haven't, then we can move on, but have you seen anything to suggest that, um, like OU's defensive numbers when they blitz, not necessarily when they get home, but is there is there a is there a chance for disaster to what I'm kind of referring to? Have you seen any trends in that direction? Good question. Let me take a look here and see. Uh, there's some, you know, blitz, there's some numbers on blitz dumps. Yeah, I mean, defensively. <laughs> You know they have a fairly high on blitz plays. They 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 have a tendency to give up big plays. Yeah, twelve uh, percent it says for their blitz down big play rate, which is uh, 
you know, fairly high and they're getting sacks on only 4.4% of their blitz blitz downs, which, uh, you know, again, it's kind of the kind of thing where they're, they, they're getting pressure on the quarterback. there were times last week, man, where I was like, are they coaching them? Like not to bring the quarterback down on this. <laughs> I was just like, what is going on? Cause they're there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Kendall Dolby had one in particular where he had Beck just dead oh, to rights. And yeah. So, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's going to be inherent and that's kind of the way Venable's defenses have been since day one, you know? Yeah. And and that's just going to be the interesting thing because I mean, Quinn Ewers is athletic enough. Like he, he's kind of like Spencer Rattler to me where Spencer can move in the pocket somewhat. If he's on the edge, like if he's having to step up in the pocket, that's a little bit different. If he's having mm-hmm. to climb the ladder in the pocket, that's where he yeah. kind of panics. Um, but I mean, just like Spencer, he's by no means like a world-class athlete in no. the open field, but he's certainly a guy that you have to be disciplined and set the edge and not go for the kill shot as much as it, as tempting as that will be in the cotton bowl against the quarterback for the university of Texas, bring the guy down and then worry about like how badass it looked later. You know, yeah. like it'll probably like you're going to make 50,000 people scream. So don't worry about it. Just make the tackle. Um, but having said that, like it seems like this defense is a little bit better, at least setting the edge, um, especially than they were last year. So, I mean, I, hopefully those are just kind of like you chalk it up to Iowa State's quarterback being somewhat mobile and somewhat athletic and maybe just, you know, your guys just not taking them as seriously. But, um, I mean, Alan, is there is there anything else that you're kind of looking forward to with this matchup that we haven't really discussed? I mean, is there something you're potentially excited for? Or are you excited for the prospect of Marcus Major writing his <laughs> name in OU lore or Gavin Sawcheck having kind of a a coming out six weeks into the season party or the receivers just continuing, you know, their kind of burst onto the scene or just the defense truly proving that, no, 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 we are, we are that good. Yeah. For me, the guy that I'm, I find really interesting in this game is actually DeSal McCullough. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think that we're looking at a scenario where OU might actually roll out the uh, the three 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 defense at times this, in this game, um, you know, which we ironically enough kind of emulating what Iowa State does, you know, with three high safeties, three linebackers, and in that case, you'd have Desan McCullough playing like kind of a Sam line, strong side Sam linebacker type type role, which would open him up, you know, to, you know, do some coverage in the flats, you know, and play some, maybe the uh, hook, hook and uh, hook zones, but also to potentially spend down as more of a pass rusher too. So, you know, like he's kind of one of those versatile weapons that, you know, Venables has had guys like Isaiah Simmons in the past and McCullough clearly isn't on that level yet, but he has, you know, kind of enough in his bag where I think that they can do some interesting things with him uh, coming from that type of, you know, uh, you know, three high safety look where maybe you're not going to ask him to do as much in man coverage. Um, and, you know, like that's that is going to be kind of the game inside the game. Part of the thing, one of the things that I'm watching. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to um, kind of bring back a little conversation you and I had on the Keyhole Discord after the Wyoming game where um, you had mentioned that their like Texas' running game is just, you know, big chunk play or nothing. 
essentially. Like there's not, there wasn't a lot there against Alabama. There wasn't a lot there against Wyoming, but it appears that Jonathan Brooks and the um, Texas running game have kind of found an identity. And mm-hmm. it's like, look, like Kansas, that they didn't have their quarterback. They're not overall a very strong defense. I don't think anybody would say um, Baylor kind of the same thing. Like they're a awful, awful, awful football team, but you know, against similarly bad competition, OU is still trying to figure out their running game and Texas seemingly kind of found theirs. And that's what I'm kind of concerned about that OU's defense will be so concerned with getting beat over the top that Texas is just going to run the football down OU's throat because I would imagine that some of those big plays that OU has given up on blitzes, a big chunk of those were probably against Cincinnati on run mm-hmm. plays. It, it's because very it's, possible, yeah. It seemed like every time OU blitzed in the late first, early second quarter of that game, Cincinnati and Satterfield kind of figured it out uh, to an extent and ran the correct play to the opposite side of the field and got a 15, 18-yard gain. And that's what I'm scared about. So I just want to bring that back up. Like, Do you still feel that way? or um, And this whole Texas running game emergence is just the byproduct of a soft schedule um, since the Alabama-Wyoming weeks? Or is this something that OU should be truly concerned with? Well, I, I like I don't think like Texas's running game is by any stretch lethal or anything like that. And I mean, I tend to have some level bring some level of skepticism to it when a team isn't running the ball particularly efficiently against better defenses, plays two bad ones and looks good, right? right. And then, yeah. So I mean, I I think the way that I would put it is that I would rather have Texas relying on Jonathan Brooks and that offensive line trying to beat OU as opposed to uh, Xavier Worthy and, and especially A.D. Mitchell, right? I mean, it, those those are the two guys, you know, if you're, if you, I kind of subscribe to a, make the, make the other team play the way you want them to play, uh, you know, look at it. And so like that, if they, if the choice is, do we kind of, you know, lighten the run box, for example, uh, to take away the deep throws, that's how I I would approach it personally. Um, but you know, I mean, I certainly Texas's running game looks better the last two weeks. That's for sure. It's a big test. Yeah, it is a gigantic test, and I don't know. Like talking about this right now has been good therapy because now I'm getting kind of excited for it. I've been like, uh, I just hate. I just hate that they're good and I hate that we're we're getting there, but I don't think that we're all the way there yet. And it's just, mm-hmm. God, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, it also sucks. It's the day, like the game is the day before my birthday. So, you know, last year it was on my birthday. It's, and that, that wasn't very fun. And it's just like, please, please, please. I want to see some sooner magic. Um, do you want to go into predictions, score predictions for the game? Or do you want to maybe, have a palate cleanser and talk about college football across the country first. Let's save our predictions to the end. So I can think about it. Cause I, I know I like people might get mad. <laughs> no. And again, I want to remind everybody. Um, well, I guess to our non-patron listeners I, on the no cap recap, I went ahead and, you know, I ate crow for my Iowa state prediction that I had last week on this, on this episode. Um, I explained kind of my thought process a little bit more. I explained that um, in the game itself against Iowa State, the reasons why I thought on that Tuesday that OU might get upset against Iowa State, I saw those things play out. 
Now that is not me saying, well, actually I would, I was right. And here's why. No, 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 no. I was, I was so happy that I was wrong. I was very happy to see, OU adjust and then kick the living shit out of Iowa state. So I was very, very happy to be wrong. Um, and I don't really think I saw anything that could potentially linger into the season. So my thought process going into the Iowa state game, that's like completely gone. I don't think that this team's going to go undefeated by any means, even with this schedule. I think that they have one, maybe two losses in them. Um, but maybe that will change. Um, mm-hmm. if OU goes down to Dallas and wins, but if, you know, just an extra plug to the Patreon page, if you want to hear me be a silly goose and <laughs> explain all that, the no cat recap is on patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Um, but I'm, I can guarantee you, Alan, whatever I predict at the end of the show today, I'm going to have a different idea tomorrow. Yeah. Have a different idea <laughs> on Thursday. Enough, yeah. Like th- this, this week, you just, you start to talk to, you start to talk yourself into it as mm-hmm. an OU fan, like when it, when, you know, OU isn't favored. So I have no doubt that's going to happen, but I mean, we, we can kind of grab bag this. We can talk about, we can preview a game. Um, that's coming up this week other than OU Texas, or we can talk about games that have already happened last week. Let's talk, just let's kind talk of, about Bama, Texas A&M. Have you paid attention to either of these teams in the recent you, weeks? I've paid attention to both, but mainly I, I've paid attention to Bama and that I've watched them. I watched A&M Miami. Um, I'm interested to see what Miami is doing um, with their second year head coach in Cristobal and considering Brent has kind of lapped him in recruiting in multiple situations. It's been kind of funny, uh, but um, A&M I've only really paid attention to from the standpoint of, Oh, you guys like feel kind of good because, Oh, we got shellacked by Miami. Hey, but that was just, you know, we're four and one or whatever they are, man. They're about to be, they're about yeah. to be dead in the water in the blink of an eye, in my opinion. So um, I think Bama is going to probably win this game fairly easily. I mean, A&M's already down there um, starting quarterback. And I think Saban going with Jalen Milrow, and just writing it out with him, I think was the is the right decision. It should have been the right decision even after the Texas loss. It almost cost them a game against USF um, in that rainstorm that they played in. But um, I, I think the more Milro plays and the more that Tommy Reese understands how to utilize him as an athlete, I think that will bode well for Alabama. And I think that Alabama kind of reestablishing themselves, at least in the SEC, maybe not for a playoff or a national championship, I think that that starts against A&M. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting deal, right? Because like in the pre in the preseason, you know, I got you know some some of the gambling shops offer like look ahead lines for games of the year, right? And the line was seven, right back then. So I I took it and I took a And M. It comes out this week, it's three and a half. Um, so you know, I mean, clearly there's been I I think a lot of that is how they've kind of uh, you know marked down Bama for how the season started. The thing that's interesting to me is, I mean, part of, one of the interesting things actually, honestly, about the Texas win too is that Bama has u- started using Milrow completely differently or, or playing that offense very differently since after the USF game, really. You know, there was kind of like this conspiracy theory out there that like Saban, you know, benched Milrow for that game and, you know, as a, as a way of like saying to him, like, you need to get with the program and a way to also tell Tommy Reese, like, put your guy in, play the way you want to play. And I'll show you, it's not going to work. We need to play, you know, we need to do this with Milrow. And I I think that they're leaning into that more now, and it's probably going to end up paying off for them as the season goes on, as opposed to trying to make him something he's not, you know? 
Yeah, like they they're kind of reminding me of like maybe like 2016 OU where those early season losses were not necessarily indicative of how well the team played as the year went along, at least on offense. Um, but, you know, getting shellacked by Ohio State at home, you know, they could have lost Ohio State, but I think that team probably was a little bit better than a blowout loss to Ohio State. And I think in that same vein, I think as the season goes along, Alabama fans are going to feel like, you know, if uh, we had a second year OC or retain the same OC from last year, probably have a better result against Texas because yeah. Burrow would have been utilized in a manner that's more suited to his talent instead of just trying to like force a quarterback to run a system that he's not very comfortable with. Yeah. So I mean, I they only was... threw the ball 13 times against Mississippi State, which is to me, that's that's where you want to be. You know, I was going yeah. back over and watching, watching the Texas game. I mean, he was throwing on first down a lot. I mean, it was just they weren't putting him in very good positions for the kind of quarterback he is, in my opinion. It was a game plan like they're going to expect what I said on the podcast going into that week where I thought Alabama is going to zone read them to death with Milrow yeah. and they'll have no answer. And they didn't do that at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was like the game plan was that's what they're expecting. So let's do yeah. the opposite. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll show them. <laughs> it's it's the Mike Stoops philosophy. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're playing we're playing army. We're preparing for the pass. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um well, okay, well, so other than Alabama AM, the game that I kind of brought up was USC Arizona, and it has nothing to do with this game. Mm-hmm. USC schedule. <laughs> Yeah. After this game, holy mother of God. I don't think I've ever seen a tougher schedule. Now, it, it could certainly change. Like team, those Some of those teams will lose. I think Washington and Oregon play each other. Like There are going to be some losses. They're not all going to be ranked as high. But as it stands right now, if you don't know USC schedule after Arizona, everybody go Google it and then just laugh because, oh boy, Alex Grinch might get fired. And I, and I feel bad for him. I feel terrible for that human being. He's not a good defensive coordinator, at least at the blue blood level. I think he's a competent defensive coordinator. Can, depending on what your standard is as a program, he can take you somewhere. He can't get you all the way, um, but it's not going to be pretty. And Caleb Williams is going to have to throw eight or nine touchdowns in some of these games for USC to win. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I actually put the stat out on Twitter the other night. Uh, about looking at, I looked back at the second half of that Colorado game when, you know, USC's defense kind of just imploded. And looking at the offensive side of the ball, they ran 30 plays in the second half and threw it on 23 of them. Now they were up three touchdowns at halftime, right? And yeah. so it's just one of those things where, like, it, I, I have a hard time even knowing what to think about Grinch as a defensive coordinator because you know, you start wondering, like, at some point that this has got to be a Riley thing. Like, you know, I mean, the it's kind of, you know, and someone pointed out to me, well, I mean, you know, Colorado was gearing up to stop the run and they had been, you know, converting huge chunks of, you know, and I mean, the, the offense was really humming, which was all true. Right. But like, you're just kind of setting your team up though. If you just, you know, don't have any way of, I, I, I don't know. There's just something it's, it's a weird predicament in the sense that your offense is almost too good. Right. But at the same time you, I start to wonder like, okay, are they, is the offense so good at the expense somehow, not just on game day, but just in general at the expense of the defense. Right. And like, 
I mean, the thing about it is, is, you know, it, it, you know, it gives fans heartburn to watch those leads kind of melt away. But the flip side of that is like Riley has a really good record as a head coach. So to some degree it works. Right. But it's just the kind of thing where like, it, it seems like they're really good at winning, like, you know, winning a lot of games, but not really getting to that next level, getting over the hump. And I, I feel like we're seeing that play out again this year. It's kind of the same story over and over and over. And this has kind of inspired um, somebody that I've talked about, at least back in the old keyhole days, um, kind of in a, uh, let's just say I don't always respect his opinions or his attention grabbing, but um, uh, you were, you replied to him, uh, Mr. Bud Elliott, um, asking the question of, oh, is you know Lincoln Riley going to waste a generational quarterback to which OU fans are all like, well, I mean, he's done it twice already. Yeah. Um, and I think he had quote tweeted his own tweet earlier today about, um, I mean, what was it? It was something about like, it's, like OU fan- yeah, OU fans might have been right in the sense that you know Lincoln Riley was really just late stage Jimbo Fisher at Florida State, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, like I I said this earlier about how it seems like people with opinions that are supposed to have opinions. I mean, I have opinions. I'm not not saying it in an insulting way, but it seems like a lot of people that have opinions have such weird selective memory about things. I'm fairly certain that maybe not Bud Elliott himself, but I'm fairly certain that people at his level, when Lincoln Riley was the head coach at OU, would say all the right criticisms like great offense, you know, innovative, great quarterback play, great skill positions. Defense sucks. Never going to, I'm not going to take them seriously because Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio state, they all take defense seriously. And that wins you national championships. And, Oh, you got close, you know, a few times, but they did not achieve where the status they wanted. And now it's like, because it, it's USC and because it's LA and because it's Caleb Williams and he's somehow, I I think he's probably better than Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But at the, at the end of the day, they're just still three elite national title level Heisman trophy winning quarterback. So it doesn't really matter if Caleb Williams is just slightly better at some things than those two, you know, he's Kyler Murray's faster than him, but Kyler is shorter than him. So blah, you know, who cares? But to me, it just seems like almost disingenuous to the point where people are just trying to get attention and trying to create something because I don't know if it was to you or to someone else in his mentions to that quote tweet, but um, I think someone or you said like, I think people would rather have Caleb Williams as OU's quarterback instead of just Lincoln Riley. And I think his response at some point was, or actually, I might have got that backwards. Somebody said something, and then his response was, "So you're saying that they would that OU fans would rather have Brent Venables?" And it's like no one is bringing that up. You're bringing that up because you your original thought is being proven incorrect. That you should have believed OU fans. Maybe not all the crazy ones that were saying silly things, but like, hey, like we watched this guy for five years. We have a good beat on him. I don't know if it's going to work at USC because those same problems are going to continue unless we see him change it. Yeah. And and then his response is, well, so you're saying you'd rather have Brent Venables. It's like, nope, nobody is 
well, saying that. <laughs> like, here's what here's here's what I mean. I've heard Bud talk about this before, you know. Um, and you know, his his art his says, well, you know, oh, you fans who went wild, it's fun to poke fun at him and everything like that. And he's like, what he's saying is maybe they have a point about about Lincoln Riley, silo that off. But then he's like, but they'd rather, but they, you know, they'd still rather have him as the head, as their head coach than Brent Venables right now. And like, they're two completely different questions. Right. But like, I think like I can, I mean, I can recall before Riley, you know, left for USC the night that OU lost to Oklahoma state and it looked like he was going to be staying on the number of people who I spoke to were fans or who donate or whatever, who were fairly upset with Lincoln Riley at that point before he left, like had me thinking like, I need to write like an article about why it's still a good thing that he's still here as the head coach. Right. Like I, I think what, what people don't get, like imagine if, if that same thing played out last year and then it was playing out this year again, if Riley was still at OU, right? And, and we're still seeing the same thing. He'd be in what year, like seven or eight as a head coach here if this was he, his season? He'd be on the hot seat. He doesn't have he the cachet that Stoops had. And he, well, yeah. And, but like it would, because it, but, but it would be because it's like we're seeing the same thing over and over and over. And like, you know, now USC, you're going to see, I mean, the fans, you know, they started when they start talking to me about like all the different stuff that happened in the second half of that game and why it's like, it's like, all right, I've been there guys. Like it, you know, I understand where you're coming from, you know, but the problem is like, like we've seen it for so long now, like it's the same problem over and over and over. And it's it's the kind of thing where you I mean God it's hard to knock a guy who keeps winning all these games I mean if I was USC and Lincoln Riley and if I'm a USC fan he comes in and they're looking the way they look and he brings in this Stark quarterback I mean I'd be elated I'd be thrilled right yeah but talk to me three four five years down the road from now you know what I mean like if things haven't if things if nothing's changed I'm not sure that the that the level of I mean you can already hear some of the, you know, kind of, I don't know, it, it, people are getting a little restless with it already there. Yeah. No, I mean, there's no doubt when Lincoln left, he elongated his honeymoon period because yeah. it was over at OU. It was no doubt over at OU um, with USC being bad for as long as Texas has been bad. You know, that's why they're like, hey, we're happy we're winning. We got a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. We're in the news every day. Like we're in contention. That's not something that we that they enjoyed for a decade. So it makes sense. Plus it's like, yeah, there are some facts. It's LA. There's more people. Yeah. It's, it's more exciting than Norman, Oklahoma. The media would rather go there than Norman, Oklahoma. I get that. They, they kind of wish cast them to be better more so than they would probably wish cast. OU football yeah. to be better. And that's not me saying the media hates OU. It's just a fact. Like, right. Where it's would you a, rather yeah. go? If you weren't from Oklahoma, listening listener, where would you rather go? Southern California or Oklahoma? Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it, there's n- nothing wrong with that. You know, you can right, be wrong. Yeah. You can be wrong and then <laughs> step into Oklahoma and go, hey, this there's not that bad. That's kind of how I feel. Um, but no, it's just it's just interesting. It's a lot of the same stuff with Riley. It continues every week, but boy, that schedule that at Notre Dame, oh, they got man. Washington, yeah. Washington, Oregon, um, Utah, UCLA. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I was just looking at it, like uh, you know the the road games are at Oregon and at Notre Dame. Oh, at Cal. Cal is kind of like the one break they get, and then yeah, they host Utah, host Washington, and then they have UCLA at the end of the year. And UCLA, I know that they it, it, they kind uh, of they kind of uh, flubbed one against Utah last week, but that's a, a really good team. Like that's going to be a really yeah. tough game for them by the end of the year. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Now, anything, anything else just in the grander scheme of college football? I mean, I think, I think this week we're going to find out our three or four teams that if everything goes according to plan, those are your playoff teams. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll get a pretty good idea. I think the one, the one thing though, is, you know, I, I, if you're talking about the playoff, I hate to say it, but it's possible this OU Texas game doesn't mean a thing for the playoff. <laughs> it's just like, you know. Well, I mean, what the thing that's going to be a little interesting is if OU wins on Saturday, and that was kind of the last topic I wanted to get into, um, kind of what it means if OU lo- wins or if OU loses, and not necessarily for playoff contention, but just kind of for the program yeah. psyche. Um, but if OU wins, like it'll no doubt be a surprise to me. It'll be a surprise to a lot of OU fans. We'll all be very happy. But then that's when the pressure is going to be on. Yeah. Every every Saturday is going to be like it was two or three years ago where every game was like, you have to crush this team. And if you don't, it's a failure. So yeah. We're going to go right back to that unhealthy relationship that we have with Sooner football if OU beats Texas. But the other part of it is, man, we're probably going to have to see Texas again. Yeah, and exactly. It's hard to beat a team twice, so it's it's going to be interesting because OU and Texas' schedule do not inspire a lot of oh, there's trap games abound all over the place. Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at it. OU has a couple spots, but like they get a lot of those games at home. You know, Texas. I mean, they've got to like beat. They've got to play Kansas State. I think still TCU. I mean, could Eddie be mentioned problems, it, but Eddie mentioned it. I think on Scoop Pod. Um, last or maybe on the Friday or maybe on the post game pod. I can't remember, but how West Virginia could be yeah. either undefeated or seven and one coming to Norman. And I just never would have guessed that. Never. I never, I, I do think that we can kind of wash our hands of the thought that when we looked at the schedule going into the season, like, Oh, OU's avoiding, you know, through what was it? Three of their four losses in conference last year. They're not playing those teams. And we think that those like Baylor and Texas tech, Completely um, flipped. Yeah, yeah. We we think those teams are going to be in the top half of the conference, and those teams are at the bottom half and yeah, at the bottom of the bottom. Yeah, 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 at the bottom of the bottom half. So the teams that, I mean, other than Kansas State, OU's yeah. schedule is getting slightly tougher as it um goes out. But no, we kind of talked about what OU has to do in order to win. Kind of, we kind of like touched on those things. So, um, for a final topic before we get into predictions. I hate to bring it up. I hate to speak it into existence, but you and I have no say on what's going to happen on Saturday. But I am, I'm just a little concerned. I kind of wrote about it on the Monday post on Patreon. Um, I I truly hope, like I want, like obviously the team cares very much about this game and a lot is going to go, a lot of emotion, a lot of heart, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, all those cliches. In the event OU loses, a really good sign that Brent Venables is the guy is if this doesn't torpedo the team, because mm-hmm. it's one thing to like six and seven is not indicative of us. It's not indicative certainly of this program. And we want to distance ourselves as quickly as possible from that. It's easy to say that in the off season. It's easy to say that in, 
summer conditioning. It's easy to say that in fall camp. And then it's easy to say that when you're playing not a very tough schedule, but credit to OU, not only did they defeat all five opponents, they looked pretty damn good doing it. But when you say that for that long, and then if you lose to your first good team that you've played all year in a manner where you get punched in the mouth, like that could snowball. And kind of similar to what we saw with the team last year where when bad things would happen, they would snowball. I hope that this doesn't go in that direction. And I think that's a duh statement, but I think that that's something that um, in the event that OU loses, I don't want them to lose, but in the event that they do, I'm looking for Brent Venables to be that leader that I think we all want him to be. Well, yeah, ob- yeah, absolutely. I think, again, the, there is a carrot out there too. You can say, well, that sucked guys, but we, we do have a chance to potentially get him back later in the year. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and that's, I guess if there is one, you know, kind of silver lining to it, that would be it, right? Like, okay, that sucked. Put it behind you. We've got, you know, another six game, six games left to get better and to take them on again. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's, I think, and I think that that's a, that that's a, if, if Venables is, you know, kind of, you know, knows the psychology of the team, I'm assuming that's kind of what the angle he'll play up. Yeah. No, I just feel like as a fan or with this program, they're just in this weird twilight zone where they're clearly not where we want them to be. They're clearly not where they want to be. Um, but they're certainly, at least, they've distanced themselves fairly well from the basement that was last year. But still having said that, I'm not about moral victories. I'm not about like, oh, they lost 30, they lost 31 to 28. Like, ah, oh, damn. You know, like, I feel good. It's like, no, I'm going to be, I will be pissed off if we lose 31 to 28. I'll be pissed off if we lose by a 63 yard field goal as time expires. I'll be Mm. very angry and I'll be thinking about the handful of mistakes that could have been avoided that would have resulted in us winning by 10. You know, that that's probably what I would focus on. But as you get further away from that game, I hope that I start to feel that way of like, oh yeah, I do feel good that we barely lost because we keep winning and it hasn't torpedoed the team and they haven't snowballed. And now I'm finding myself in a situation where I do want to play them again. And I don't think they want to. Yeah. Oh, oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's just, again, it's the, the fan part of your brain versus just the logical part of looking at them saying, Texas is a good team that played well, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a tough game, you know, I mean, but I like where I like the way OU is developing, I guess is the way I would put it. I like where it's heading. If they do, if if they do lose and get a second chance to uh, play them again later in the season, you know, that's, that would be, you know, I like, I like where this team I think will be at that point. You ready, Alan? Let's do it. Okay. I, since I introduced it, I guess I'll go first. Well, two weeks in a row, I'm going to pick OU to lose. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think I picked OU to lose to Texas in the preseason prediction. I think I picked them to lose in my Monday post in July when I kind of went through the entire schedule and just thought, don't know anything, but let's just, let's just do this as a thought experiment. So in in the, you know, spirit of being consistent, um, I'll pick OU to lose. I just don't think OU's there yet. And if OU had the running game that we expected going into the year and everything else still was the same, Gil- Dylan Gabriel is a badass. The receiving core is a badass. Um, d- defense is kicking ass. 
I might change my mind from the preseason prediction and go, no, I think OU's ready to just really distance themselves from last year and and get some revenge because they knew they were behind the eight ball with no Dylan Gabriel last year, but losing 49 to nothing. And it's like Texas didn't necessarily run up the score. I never really got that that kind of feeling from like no. rewatching the game. They 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 had their chance to and they they for some reason didn't do so. Um so I guess classy on their part, but um I'm sure the the players don't feel that way losing 49 mm-hmm. to nothing. So if OU had that that running game that we assumed, I would pick them, but they don't. So I'm still in the same boat of Texas is just slightly a little bit more experienced. They're slightly better. Um they're better on in the areas that we want to be good at, like our defensive line has been fairly good this year and shown improvement, but it's not where we want it to be. And it doesn't have the talent yet that we want it to have. Texas has some good talent and they've proven it on a big stage. So I'm going to say, unfortunately, 38, 24, um, maybe it's close for most of the game and Texas pulls away with some big plays late. Yeah. I mean, I look at it as, Texas is like, like, you know, a grade higher, maybe at most every position group. Right. I mean, you know, you look at the receivers, I think OU has a really deep receiving room, but not quite the skill level that you see with Worthy and Mitchell. Um, You know, OU's, like you mentioned, the defensive line, OU's line is, you know, played well, but Texas is, is just is a little bit better. The one area where maybe I think that, people have gotten a little bit over their skis with Texas, I think is their offensive line um, just based on what I've seen. And I'm not an offensive line expert, but I think that, you know, Kelvin Banks is a really, really good left tackle, but the rest of the guys are kind of, uh, you know, basking in his uh, like reflective glory. You know, I I don't know if they're really as good uh, down the line as people are making them out to be. So there's, there's maybe something there. I just, I think it's going to be a little bit of a more of a lower scoring game than people um, are predicting. I mean, the total is set around 60. Um, I foresee, you know, both defenses have played well. Texas's defense is really, I mean, it's very good. I think that, you know, we're looking at something around maybe 28, 20 uh, Texas wins, you know, and like I said, a, a more of a defensive game than people are expecting. There you have it. Matt didn't send in his prediction just yet, so it'll probably be on the graphic later this week on Twitter. Um, Peyton again is abroad, um, but I did. Did Peyton pick OU to beat Texas in the preseason? I believe he did. I can't remember if that was in the regular season or if it was for the Big Twelve Championships. I think we all had. Well, no, no, he had OU playing Tech, right? Yeah. Oh God, bless his heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, no. It's like I was wrong. I've been wrong a thousand times. He'll be wrong a thousand times as well. So if you do this long mm. enough, but yeah. Yeah. Any other final thoughts, Alan, before we sign off? No, man, it should be a fun week though. Uh, you know, and uh, thanks to all of our sponsors, of course. And you know, this is the free show. So if you like what you're hearing, even if you don't like what you're hearing, but you like us, uh, go sign up on Patreon. Uh, you know, we'll be giving even more of this great content there. Yeah, and again, uh, five-star rating and reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts really, really help out the show. We would greatly appreciate that. The Monday post is um, public for everybody. I posted it on Twitter earlier this morning, so at Brady Does Sports or X. I'm sorry, I keep calling it Twitter. I'm sorry, Elon, don't kill me. Um, But I asked, what's your favorite non-Roy Williams Superman play in OU Texas history? You know, so 
let me know. I'm, I'm interested. It seems like most of our um, responders, most of our listeners um, are about 10 years younger than me because it's a lot of Baker Mayfield. It's a lot of <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So, uh, that, I mean, that makes sense, but we enjoy it otherwise. But yeah, um, thank you to everybody that helps out. Thank you to the patrons. Thank you to Vanessa House, Scratch Kitchen Cocktail, uh, the Spirit Shop. We greatly appreciate your um, help and support as well. But for Matt Burton, uh, Peyton Guthrie, Alan Kenny, this is Brady Trantham through the keyhole. Boomer. 